Welcome backwards to Bodhi Speak. So for this episode today, I have a, I guess you would call it a presentation, uh, that I kind of wrote up about cold water immersion, Wim Hof method, and sort of the science behind it from my very limited perspective, yet I seem to have researched it quite a bit, so there's a little bit I could share about it here. And I was really inspired to write all this stuff up because cold exposure and the Wim Hof method and the science behind it was something that was a linchpin crucial aspect of uh, transformation and healing that I went through last year during 2020. And looking at some stuff on social media, it seems like Wim Hof has become more popular than ever due to the quarantine and COVID because people are trying to figure out, you know, now that the world has ended, <laughs> what we can do to help bring some balance to our minds and our emotions and this kind of thing. And uh, this technique is something that is so simple and so inexplicably powerful and something that everyone who breathes and has access to cold water uh, can easily uh, access with, you know, doesn't cost anything. It's very simple. And as I started to get into the practice, I was fascinated with how powerful the it works immediately and then was starting to research some of the science and then studying the science, I was immediately just brought to this place of like awe with the understanding intellectually of what's happening as I was viscerally experiencing it through my body. And, you know, with those two things put together where you have like the knowledge of what's happening plus the experience, that in and of itself is uh, such a powerful motivating tool to continue going in your practice and stay committed and disciplined with things as, you know, distractions arise and all kinds of things happen. And uh, it's also just deeply fascinating to understand, oh, this is what's happening to me. This is why I'm feeling this way. And then what stems from uh, that knowledge can be applied to other practices. And this is what I found in uh, a lot of other disciplines that I took up from the uh, from initially coming in contact with the Wim Hof method. So before get into the details of it all i kind of wanted to share uh, a little bit of like my personal story with how i kind of got involved with uh this kind of thing here so with cold immersion wim hof with the pranayama and all this stuff is that so dating back let's now go over 10 years ago to 2011 it's the first time i ever went in cold water for a long time and i was uh with the coney island polar bears which is a group in New York City where they go in the ocean every weekend from something like November to April and my aunt I think believe at the time was the vice president of the Coney Island Polar Bear Club <laughs> and uh, super cool group of people very you know it's Coney Island so you get a lot of people that are like out there of all walks of life very interesting group of people super cool to be around and uh, we went into the ocean it was right after New Year's it must have been I think around February I don't really recall specifically what month it was, but we went into the ocean and I mean, it was ferociously cold outside. It was like, you know, you had needed to wear like four jackets just to feel remotely warm. It was brutally cold. 
and uh, I no preparation, no knowledge of anything. Uh, you know, the only discipline at this point I had really come in contact with was Vipassana in India, and I had started to think about changing my diet. Uh, <laughs> I had not acted upon that yet. Uh, and, you know, studied, had been studying Buddhist Dharma and things like this, but I really had no exposure to breath work, had no exposure to yoga, very limited at least. I did some yoga in India, Hatha yoga that is. And uh, we went in the ocean, and I remember, you know, we did a little bit of, a few jumping jacks beforehand. I got in the water. I mean, the Atlantic Ocean in February in New York is cold, man. And, we, and I remember going in, initially you go in and all of a sudden you're, <gasps> you want to seize up like that. And then what happens is there's a moment where all of a sudden you just feel warm after about a minute. Or unaffected might be a better way to put it. But an aspect of warmth does come to you because the cold sends your body into a place of preservation and shock. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm in, I'm in the ocean in February, there's people outside standing on the beach watching us and they look like they're freezing to death and I'm wearing nothing but shorts and I'm in the ocean and I'm laughing. <laughs> and then there's this wave of, of ecstatic rapture that comes with it and I would say an altered state of consciousness of expansion. And I wound up staying in the ocean for 12 minutes the first time I ever did it. And then you get out and we had to run back to the aquarium, the Coney Island Aquarium, and I had, you know, then all of a sudden shivering starts and you're shivering for quite a while. But then I would say after about 45 minutes to an hour later, you're just in this state of like, <sighs> deep peace and relaxation. That's the best way I could express it. It's just through. <sighs> and uh, ever since then, I've always been fascinated with cold water. And uh, I've been going into, done like heat immersion and cold immersion back and forth in the east village in manhattan there's a place called the russian turkish baths it's very famous it's been there since the 1890s and people like john belushi used to visit there quite often and uh, they have a ferociously hot uh dry sauna room and then you have a very frighteningly cold cold plunge you can go back and forth and the you know this the experience of doing that is rapturous whoa if just going into the cold does it going from the heat to the cold and back and forth if you haven't done it before uh is nothing short of a religious experience and i don't say that lightly so come 2020 you know i and and well let's let's stay back a little bit more to year two so i've been do, i was doing that you know living in new york city in brooklyn for many years and then traveling whenever i travel i try to find a sauna and cold plunge cold water you know heat this kind of thing and then i remember i would get bags of ice right before i moved up to upstate new york in 2019 whenever i was uh in in the city and not traveling i would get bags of ice from the bodega down the street and i fill up the bathtub with cold water and throw the ice in the tub and i remember i would lay in the tub and where I was living at Golden Drum, they had this picture of all the nadis and the chakra system and the meridian points, the meridian, uh, the act energetic activation centers of the body. And there's this blue backdrop with white lines that constituted the body and, and the different energetic centers. And you would see the person there sitting in this like meditative samadhi type state and on this like crystal aqua blue, ice blue, Antarctic blue background with these white lines dictating the person in the energy centers and i'm laying in the tub for about five to ten minutes of ice water and i'm looking at that looking up and 
you know, my whole system is going activating like crazy. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's a mere reflection of what I'm experiencing right now. The cold water is, as a friend put it, cold water is God. And uh, the experience of it is just like, whoa. And so this was a great way to activate the system and to find a lot of peace and stillness. Sometimes it requires going into the most uncomfortable, challenging circumstance you could possibly think of uh, in order to find that. And then come 2020, all of a sudden, as was the case for virtually all of us, uh, we get hit with a wall where life as we know it ends. For some more than others. As someone that had been traveling nonstop pretty much since 20, early 2014, this was like a huge shock for me. And uh, the process of, of uncovering, for me, the experience of what it means to be grounded required going through a lot of challenging emotions and a lot of stress and a lot of rethinking what I'm doing with my life at this period of time. I've never once doubted the work that I do in terms of you know sharing sound and healing and meditation and, and things like that. But, always, but having to rethink completely about the way going about it and the way that was most joyful was suddenly you know, disconnected. And this feeling of like being grounded from your favorite thing to do, that's, that's the best way I would put it. And, it, and the grounding will not end <laughs> for years, perhaps, who knows. And uh, having to find another way to tap into a place of like flow and creativity and joy and peace and relaxation. And so the first thing I did, not the first thing, but one of the first things that came to me as I realized that this situation was not changing is go purchase a cold plunge. So I purchased a uh, big tub from the tractor supply company down the street and fill it up with ice water and started doing cold plunges a couple times a week. And then my uncle, who's part of the polar bear club, was saying, you know, I want to get more into this breathwork thing because he gave me he gave me a call and was asking me for advice. Because I've been, uh, you know, been doing the cold water, but I see a lot of people doing breathwork. I know there's so many different types, and I'm just trying to figure out what's the best one to do. And I was like, well, you know, there's in Kundalini, you can do all different types of pranayama, and there's different types of pranayama related to hatha yoga, and I've done several different types. But in terms of cold water, the one that I know the most about would be the Wim Hof method, although I haven't really practiced it much myself, which, to be transparent, I have to say is kind of lazy on my part. <laughs> because the uh, the teachings from the, the tradition that I work with, in the initiatic tradition, and coming from my teacher, Meister Manuel, and other teachers of the lineage is that you know it's best to do a cold shower cold shower is recommended every day in those traditions it's a it's a trick of yoga not a trick but a practice of yoga that's been around forever and in the initiatic lineage is highly encouraged and recommended doing cold water immersion it's nothing new uh and always has been said warm the body up do pranayama warm the body up do pranayama and I would oftentimes do that, go for a run, then go in the cold water, but I hadn't really tapped much into the pranayama aspect of it, of you know, constricting the, the breath and utilizing the breath to activate the system internally before you go into the water so that when you go in, your body is primed and it's ready to uh, withstand 
the stress that's coming from the cold exposure. So I told my uncle about the Wim Hof method and I realized I, as someone who's guiding somebody, really should do more investigation before I just recommend something. Although I had complete faith in the Wim Hof method. I've watched a couple documentaries about Wim Hof several years ago and looked into the work and was like, obviously this is amazing and it's working. Look at the person's life. There's no doubt that there's something to this. So I started to practice it and immediately within practicing it, the experience of it was transcendental. Oh, like, wow. Not even getting in the cold water, just the breath work in and of itself. And then the transformation that I experienced uh, by utilizing the meditative aspect of it, the breath work and the cold exposure and the consistent commitment to doing it over time has been nothing sort of a miracle, I would say. Uh, has hard to explain the transformation that it's brought in the the positivity and the love and the the strength and the composure and the awareness uh, wow special practice so for those of you who don't know Wim Hof he is a, a crazy Dutch man I say crazy because he is kind of crazy uh, watch some videos of him you'll see what I mean but he's epic you know he's uh I, I purchased a book the Wim Hof method on audible listen to the whole thing it's fascinating like wow and the person's life uh was raised in the netherlands was kind of a bohemian type person was a squatter and started doing cold immersion dips in the canals in amsterdam musician and he was pretty much broken he had four kids and he was with a woman his wife who he loved very deeply but she was schizophrenic bipolar major depressive disorder all these kind of things in a really bad place and would be bedridden all the time constantly for long periods and was really a wreck and Wim nonetheless loved her very deeply and the children uh, and then one day when he wasn't there though she got up out of bed kissed the kids goodbye and then jumped off of a balcony and killed herself and Wim was utterly devastated by this and he said the things that allowed him to persevere was the love for his children and the exposure to the cold. And he said that the love from the kids was one pillar of it, but then the stillness and the serenity that the cold brought him was the other. And he had been studying the Bhagavad Gita and Hinduism and Buddhism and yoga for many years since his teens. And he kind of just went like this. He recovered from the emotional distress, like to I suppose the best that one could in those circumstances. I can only imagine the tragedy of, of that, having the person that you love the most kill themselves when you have four children you're raising together. And then on top of that, find that you're broke. It, would, it takes obviously a very special degree of willpower and perseverance and faith to move through that kind of an obstacle. And Wim, when he was born, I believe from what I remember, there were some complications where it was not sure if it was, it was, he was going to survive. And his mom said, I think that he was going to be a missionary. And so he was doing this cold water stuff with this special type of breathing that he created. Although as a disclaimer, it's very similar to the Tumo breathing of the Tibetan tradition, but it is uniquely different. The Tumo breathing of the Tibetan tradition is the one where they did a study where they put wet blankets on the Tibetan monks and the Tibetan monks would 
be able to raise their body temperature through this breath work and this meditation. And the stories go that in the Himalayas, they would go out there in wet blankets in the snow, and they would have to uh, warm up the blanket. That would be like the completion of the practice. Uh, so the Wim Hof method of breathing is different than that, but they're similar. And so he would he would go do these cold water immersions, and he was known in the neighborhood in the area for doing this. And people thought very strangely of him, but it was never something that he was doing, as I understand, for attention. It was just a practice of his that he cultivated and created on his own. And then uh, eventually news networks got a hold of him doing this, and he started to do several stunts as part of uh, getting paid to do it. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> doing like uh, the longest under the ice swim uh, which actually resulted in him freezing his corneas and he had to be rescued by divers. <laughs> so not without risk nonetheless. And then, I mean, later on doing things like taking a group of people up to Mount Kilimanjaro wearing nothing but shorts and people who had never, um, had no mountaineering skills and he trained them in a very short period of time, this breath work and this way of, of relating to themselves. And they were able to do it in a record time without oxygen, which is completely unheard of. And at one point he tried to climb Mount Everest wearing nothing but shorts, but he had to turn away due to a foot injury as he was wearing any shoes. So obviously this person has tapped into something within their own self, within their own neurology, their own biology, their own consciousness, that allows them to transcend things that ordinarily would just kill everyone immediately. And doing things like sitting in ice for two hours straight, ice water for two hours straight. If you've ever sat in ice water, try sitting in there for more than 10 minutes and see what your experience is, let alone two hours. And when I started to research some of like the science of what was happening, because so many people were saying things like, oh, this is a freak example, or like just wondering how the hell is this even done, all kinds of things along those lines. Then uh, I started to get fascinated by like, whoa, this is profound. Like the, the potential of, of what this practice can do for the transformation of people is uh, unbounded. It's really something that can fit into a lot of different practices and a lot of different traditions. And it's something that is just absolute magic. And so I felt really shared, really called to share this uh, information as much as I could condense it within my own limited degree of understanding uh, through this podcast. And it's really a spiritual practice too because this is something that Wim talks a lot about is like the main thing of this is for you to realize the soul that's what this is really about and while the scientific and the physiological and the health benefits and the mental uh, healing that comes from it is very real for him it, it remains a spiritual practice and like I said his mom said he was going to be a missionary and for him he sees this as his mission to bring this forth to people because in particular with his wife he feels that had she had the awareness or opportunity or willpower to get involved in this kind of a practice it could have healed her from the thing that resulted in her suicide and the story of Wim Hof is like I said is just beautiful and how it became this thing it's really a motion of the spirit that brought this person's work to the forefront of public consciousness 
And the way that he presents it is not only uh, hilarious, but really empowering. And you realize this is something that all of us have access to within ourselves. And we do have the capacity to transcend things as insurmountable as climbing Mount Everest wearing nothing but shorts. So just to start a little bit here on this more like written up part of the presentation, we'll go into some stream of consciousness stuff, but just a couple things. There's a couple quotes that I liked a lot that made me think about this. The first is by Hunter S. Thompson, of all people. The edge. There is no honest way to explain it because the only ones who have been there have gone over. And then one by Jack Kerouac. Cheers to the crazy, to the misfits, to the rebels, to casemakers, round pins in the square holes. Those who see things differently, they don't like rules, and they don't respect the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify them, or slander them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things. Push the human race forward, and while some see them as crazy, we see them as genius. Because people crazy enough to believe they can change the world are the ones who change it. Carl Jung said, we do not solve our problems so much as grow out of them. And then, of course, a quote by Wim Hof, the cold is merciless but righteous. So the first aspect of cold exposure is understanding environmental stress and the response towards it by the human body. So this comes into a meditation about cultural comfort versus exposing ourselves to nature. So we have the same nervous system as, and bodies as ancient people who thrived in extreme conditions, but we lost this connection to nature due to the homeostasis provided by artificial environments and the lack of a stimulus and stress response on the human body and nervous system, which strengthens, stabilizes, and empowers the mind and body. Most people have literally boxed themselves in, think cubicles, apartments, cars, computers, cell phones, boxes upon boxes upon boxes, infinite boxes, into environments where the temperature is basically 24-7, summer all year round, despite what's happening. And if you're like most people that I know, if you come across cold weather, take a step outside to empty the trash, you go, oh, you want to run away from it. You don't want to feel that. It's immediately repulsive. You don't want to feel that. So, intentionally exposing our system, however, to extreme conditions such as ice water overrides the rational mind. It taps us into the depth of the psyche and body where a survival mode releases a not ordinary state of power, internal command over autonomic functions, a state of flow and inner strength along with an enormous list of mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual benefits. The classic example of this non-ordinary power is this condition called hysterical strength. It's a term for when people experience superhuman strength in life and death situations. Jack Kirby, who worked with Stan Lee of Marvel, was inspired to create the character the Hulk after witnessing a woman lift a car to save her child. This is the classic example of hysterical strength. So, 
The explanation for hysterical strength is thought to be caused by the sudden and massive production of adrenaline and norepinephrine, which are precisely the hormones and neurotransmitter that the Wim Hof method, a combination of cold water, meditation, and breathwork, target and influence. I don't think that doing the Wim Hof method will lead you into lifting up a car. However, it's moving into that territory. The territory is very big. Obviously, you're not going to lift a car if you just do Wim Hof breathing. If you can, prove me wrong and let me know. But the point here is that like, what gives us this capacity to just do something that is completely inexplicable and superhuman is coming because of the control of these hormones and this neurotransmitter, the adrenaline and norepinephrine. So, the conscious exposure of the body to intense stress allows us to utilize what is called the wedge, this is a term I got from Scott Carney, who is one of the people that made Wim Hof famous, climbed Kilimanjaro with Wim Hof in shorts. This idea of the wedge is our capacity to use our willpower to tap deep into our neurological makeup and consciously begin to assert control over previously autonomic functions of the body and the mind. For example, the body's response to cold is to shiver without us telling our body to do so. It just happens unconsciously. We get cold, we shiver. However, if you experiment, you can utilize your willpower to control and even subside shivering altogether. Not the easiest thing, but it is possible. What this means is that we're overriding an autonomic function of our nervous system. We are changing on an extremely deep level to how we respond to stress and pain, as the cold is stressful and it does hurt. We're not just automatically shivering, we're now gonna hold it. We're gonna control that. And shivering, for the record, does not really heat your body up very much at all. It's almost pointless in what it does, from my understanding. So the value of utilizing the wedge, which means we're looking at how our body is innately responding to things and then consciously altering, is that we can free ourselves of being victims of external stimulation and begin to take control of how we respond to our environments. So we're literally rewiring neurological pathways in our brain, providing us access to regions in the mind that were previously running on autopilot. The practical application of this, I think, is profound because it, it gives us a freedom to choose how we respond to anger, stress, emotional pain. Do we choose patience or aggression? Do we endure discomfort and wait it out, or do we act on a self-destructive, impulsive habit? So the cultivation of this practice of the wedge of overriding the autonomic functions of ourselves can be applied to our daily relationships and can release us from a host of negative habits and eliminate roots from where these mental afflictions come from. If you have ever gone to a Native American church ceremony in a teepee, you are not allowed to use the bathroom, except at certain moments. And you might have eaten something that is demanding you go to the bathroom and they will say, no, sorry, you have to hold it. You don't have a choice. This is utilizing the wedge. This is strengthening the willpower. This is overcoming the autonomic need to just release and relieve oneself. And all of a sudden you just have to hold it. This is difficult at certain moments. I've seen people, they need to go to the bathroom, not able to, and they just wind up purging into a bucket as a result. Nonetheless, once you can learn to, to hold it, you can take that need to, to release physically in that context of the teepee and transform it energetically and release it in a different way. It's a very fascinating process when you practice it. And then you can realize how can this be applied to everyday life, not just when you go to the bathroom, but just 
how I deal with my needs and my desires. How can I find that serenity irrespective of what the environment is allowing me to do? And if COVID is not a perfect example of this, I don't know. COVID is saying, no, you just have to hold it. So we're learning to hold it now. So the strengthening of willpower and exert conscious utilization of the wedge can lead us to a place of inner freedom dealing with something such as COVID. So one thing that I personally have experienced just from a few months of doing almost, I would say five, sometimes six, sometimes daily, cold plunges a week uh, is that in comparison to doing you know Vipassana meditation which I was exposed to in May of 2011 so we're getting up on 10 years I think of Vipassana but had been doing meditation several years prior to that is that the cold kind of can transform your state of consciousness and bring you into a place of connection and depth and flow that you know would otherwise take years of meditation practice to access this isn't something that you need to um, necessarily even cultivate. You can cultivate to an extremely high level, but you'll experience it right away, the power and the healing capacity and the, the connection of it. And that's because there's something innate in your body. Your body is designed to be powerful. There's a life force inside you that is virtually indestructible. If you look at wisdom traditions, they say that there is an eternal presence within us. So there is something indestructible within you. All the wisdom traditions say that. And if there's one thing that can force that out and bring that into a place of conscious connection and flow, it is being exposed to essentially a life or death force such as uh, cold exposure. So obviously the cold can kill you. And utilizing a cold plunge is totally safe, however, it just needs to be done responsibly. So the idea is that, you know, your body, though, it doesn't really know the difference. The body is responding as if you're going to die. So the life force and the will to survive, the thing that has pushed humanity through the most tumultuous of situations, you know, in situations where we're being attacked by animals, by soldiers, by famine, whatever the circumstances are, you know, the extreme situations that people have survived, it's been this life force and this will to survive that has persevered and has allowed us to hear these tremendous stories. And the thing is that we don't realize that that is something that is in all of us, every human being. There's no one that's not present in. And the question is just how do you access that and allow it to move freely through the body, allow it to move freely through your life? Well, exposing yourself to a circumstance where it's forced out, where it's drawn out. And that's what's great about the cold water is that it is safe. Obviously, it needs to be done within a certain set of protocols, so you have a way to heat yourself up afterwards and, and so on and so forth, and I'll get into that towards the end of this podcast. But the idea is that your system doesn't know that you're not going to die. It's just saying every single little ounce, drop of strength of life that is inside of me, I'm going to send it all there. It's going. we got to give it. And you feel that, and you come alive. And Joseph Campbell says something along the lines, we're not looking for a meaning to life. What we're looking for is the rapturous experience of being fully alive. So if that's really what we're looking for, this is a great technique to tap into it. And it doesn't require hours and years and decades of work. It, it's, it happens pretty much the second you step into the cold water. You feel it. It's there. 
<laughs> and then how you work with it, it can be applied in other aspects of your life as a guide, as a teacher. The cold can be looked at, you know, not just as a lifeless presence, but rather a living, breathing teacher. I mean, water, they say water is life. We are water. How important water is. It's an elemental force, has a consciousness to it, has a has a intelligence to it. So establishing a connection with it can reframe something deep within inside of ourselves. And it teaches you all kinds of things about how to understand yourself and others and challenges and obstacles and perseverance and transformation. And it is a mystical presence. Nonetheless, we're going to get a little bit more into the science now of what's actually happening. Because as I understand, science and spirituality are not contrary things. The Dalai Lama says, if Buddhism and science are find themselves in opposition, then Buddhism should change. I don't know if I would go so far as saying that personally, because of things I've experienced or things that in my life science can't really dictate. But perhaps one day they will be able to. Maybe it's just a limitation on science. Nonetheless... The science of cold exposure and the Hoff method are fascinating. So the effects of cardio on the body. So the human body reacts to cold, whether it's cold air, cold water, through a process called vasoconstriction. This is where the body constricts blood flow in the vessels and the veins towards the core and vital organs to preserve heat in the body and keep you alive. So this is why the extremities of, are the first part of your body to experience pain in the cold. The blood vessels are constricting and the blood is flowing away from them and that hurts. It just doesn't feel good. It's why when you step out, ah, it's cold. Oh my God. <laughs> we don't like that. It hurts. So cold initially has an experience of pain affiliated with it. And this, as I'll talk about, is a good thing. So the cardio system, though, is so powerful that if your leg was to be cut off suddenly... The process of vasoconstriction would be able to essentially stop all the bleeding to preserve your life for at least a period of time. It's This system is so extensive, you were stringing it out, it would reach 125,000 kilometers. So there are countless muscles that are engaged in the upkeep and maintenance and preservation of this system. The process of cold exposure is a that contraction that's occurring, the vasoconstriction, the constriction, contraction, from the cold it exercises those muscles if you think about how a muscle works you push weight and it clenches up and that strength it tears the fibers in the muscle and then that it rebuilds and becomes stronger so when we are exposing ourselves to cold it activates that system it exercises that system it empowers that system it rebuilds that system and the system needs that stress in order to strengthen and if you look at our society how many of us are just living in boxes upon boxes upon boxes as i was saying where it's summer all the time and that system is never stressed and as a result there's no surprise i think here that heart disease is by far the number one cause of death in the world people do not know how to engage the cardiomuscular systems and we have created environments that don't stimulate it really interesting uh, i found a chart from 2017 said cardiovascular diseases killed 18 million people the next highest category was cancer 10 then respiratory diseases at 4 million people i mean that's 
quite significant that the cardiovascular diseases are nearly twice as high as the next category and then four, four over four times higher than the third uh and it's mainly it, one would have to theorize that it's because we don't engage it we don't consciously understand how to work with this system and this obviously can be connected to uh food choices and dietary things of all sorts and other issues within the environment such as pollution and pharmaceuticals but this is a step in the right direction is understanding that it's a muscular system that we need to consciously activate and if we don't do it then the likelihood of a cardiovascular disease killing you is exponentially higher so one thing you might notice if you start to do cold shower cold plunge because as the wim hof method talks about cold shower can be equally beneficial for you although i prefer the cold plunge your entire body will turn red once you do it and this is because the blood begins to circulate like crazy to keep your internal organs warm and on top of that blood begins to move to regions of the brain that are generally lacking in blood and which activates all types of beneficial cognitive processes that are countless and uh, across the board people report a state of flow from this practice so it makes sense because all of a sudden you know muscles are moving blood is circulating the um, the veins are constricting and if you think about the human system as a holistic system if you are experiencing a deadness and stagnancy in your life just generally you know when your emotions are numb your body is sluggish your thoughts are negative your breathing is shallow your creativity is stifled your sense of connection to nature and spirit is fragmented this is like the quintessential modern state then doing something such as deep breathing and cold exposure will bring an instant depth to your experience awaken the flow of blood stimulate the nervous system boost your metabolism as the body needs to work exponentially harder to keep itself functioning it invigorates ordinarily dormant regions of the brain it activates thousands of cardio muscles emotionally clears out your inner space and rewires you to a more creative and spiritually connected presence and i was saying before it works instantly you don't need a decade of practice to experience this however you do need to be willing to put yourself in the position of being confronted with discomfort and pain so that's not something necessarily most of us are willing to do but then you look at this idea of suffering ahead of time as i've talked about in previous podcasts within the indigenous traditions is that it's not really suffering ahead of time it's really more we're exposing ourselves consciously to suffering which releases it from i would say definition of suffering it brings it more into the category of just pain because there's a mental centeredness and focus around the understanding that this is healing this is empowering it hurts but it's good for me and most things in life for whatever reason <laughs> that are good for us we don't want to do and they're oftentimes painful on a superficial level and that's what is important to understand here is like yeah it hurts but what's hurting is just that your body is is stressing but like actually it's quite good for you i'm going to get more into the uh, experience of the pain with it in a second here but what's worth also understanding is that vasoconstriction this is not a bad thing it hurts a little bit but it's good for you this is also the natural anti-inflammatory response of your body so cold exposure while it hurts for a moment it also numbs your nerve endings reducing pain 
It lowers the temperature of our muscles and constriction sends blood away from the damaged muscle tissue and towards vital organs, resulting in an enormous reduction in swelling and unhealthy inflammation. This allows the damaged muscle to essentially relax and return to a state of balance. I used to work at a raw food company many years ago called Juice Press, and I heard the owner, Marcus Antebi, many times talking to all different customers, and the constant theme was, inflammation is the problem. Inflammation, chronic inflammation is the source of all physical and mental illness. It's the source of cancer, diabetes, all this stuff. If you can target inflammation and get that moving in the right direction, then everything becomes dramatically easier. I'm not sure you could necessarily oversimplify everything to just that, but it is an enormous linchpin in the puzzle piece of your health and wellness, both you know physically, because holistically speaking, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Uh, and cold exposure is the body's natural anti-inflammatory response. So, excuse me, not cold exposure, but vasoconstriction, which comes through cold exposure. And it's something that you have access to. And we all know this. This is not new information. You put ice on uh, injury in sports for a few minutes and take it off. But uh, when we understand how deeply we can affect the system in a positive direction through something like a cold plunge, then the discomfort, I feel, really just becomes such a mute point it's like yeah it's uncomfortable but look what you're getting i mean this is this is like the treatment to prevent the thing that kills most people in the world and it's connected to virtually every disease that there is i understand and then on top of that to come back into this idea of pain and discomfort uh so there's two systems in the body that are interesting the endocannabinoid and the endoopioid and cold exposure works on both of these systems that are present in the brainstem so endo stands for endogenous. It means naturally producing. So what we're talking about here are the body's naturally produced cannabinoids and opioids. And they're named after, obviously, cannabis and, and you know opioids because uh, they operate in a very similar way that those drugs operate on the system, except this is coming from within. So it, it activates these systems in a very positive way that produces this experience of euphoria and catharsis and pain reduction that is very beneficial for the body, unlike something such as heroin. And these systems are not just limited to feeling good. They're also deeply connected to appetite, digestion, immune function, inflammation, mood, sleep, reproductive t- reproduction, <laughs> fertility, motor control, temperature regulation, memory, pain, pleasure, and reward. So that's, I mean, how much of life just fits into those categories. It's connected to these systems. So... The endo-opioid system is involved with pain and pain regulation, pleasure, addiction, habit, and reward. Stimulating the production of specific neurotransmitters such as endorphins kill pain and influence positive behaviors. The endocannabinoid and opioid systems are known for creating the effect called the runner's high, which up until recently was mistakenly believed to be caused by endorphins. However, endorphins cannot pass through the membrane known as the blood barrier, blood-brain barrier, while endocannabinoids have the capacity to do so and cause the high we experience through vigorous exercise. The runner's high is largely caused by dynorphin, which is considered to be the opposite of endorphin, as it creates a feeling of dysphoria, which makes us sensitive to the endorphins. So basically, cold exposure, stress, heat, 
the stress caused by cold exposure, heat exposure, vigorous exercise. These things are creating discomfort through dynorphin, which activates our endo-opioid, endocannabinoid systems to kill pain and release pleasure, creating euphoria. So it's interesting to note, too, that endocannabinoids can go up 42% from singing and dancing. And I was doing some research, and I found that utilizing the sauna in conjunction with the cold water can increase norepinephrine up to 310%. And norepinephrine is one of these pain-killing neurotransmitters that allows us to feel good, allows us to just relax even when things are physically painful or psychologically painful, however you want to describe it. It's the feel-good neurotransmitter. And going back and forth from the cold to the sauna, because of this effect of the dynorphin endorphins, can increase norepinephrine up to 310%. Like, whoa. So what I think is worth to take away from uh, this information is that that long list of things that these systems are are, uh, regulating, we have the capacity to consciously flip these systems on. These things that we assume are so automatic, such as our inflammation, our immune function, our digestion, or appetite. These are things that we don't feel we really have. I can't just say, hey, appetite, can you stop being hungry right now? And it goes, okay, cool. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. However, what we're learning here is that through this system of cold exposure and breath work, because the breath work operates on these systems as well, which they've proven, is that we can start to gain control over our systems in the, the very deepest regions then like more reptilian brain, as they would say, like in pop science, we can start to control that aspect of things. And we can start to experience tremendous freedom from all kinds of afflictions and imbalances in our system and pain. And what I found on a personal level is that in my life, there's been moments where I've struggled deeply with things like anxiety And the times when I have, and this is why I included the quote by Carl Jung, you don't need to solve your problems so much as grow out of them. When you get into an anxious mental state, you try to do all kinds of things to fix it. Like you're feeling anxious about what's happening next day, you know, prepare your project or whatever, or uh, you do all types of things to kind of, rearrange the furniture in the jail cell but you never realize that you can that the solution is really just to walk out of the jail cell if that makes sense and what i'm getting at here is a lot of times we can try to rearrange pieces and things in our life and it never seems to be enough we're always caught in this prison of of the state of consciousness that we're we're in whether it's anxiety or depression or whatever it is that you are experiencing that's a state of affliction but then there's a moment where something happens There's all kinds of things, exercise, medication, plant medicine, cold exposure, whatever the thing is that allows you to come back to a place of equilibrium and homeostasis, and suddenly you realize everything's fine. It was more of an internal thing that I needed to move out of, and suddenly the external thing that that perhaps caused that stress, which threw you out of balance, is suddenly a very easy problem to tackle. And I think that's why they say it's not the path, but the, (laughs) the rock in your shoe that will wear you out. And what I found through the, you know, the cold exposure and the Wim Hof breathing is we have the capacity to essentially flip on the switch that just makes us feel good. 
released norepinephrine 310%. I mean, God bless me. <laughs> That's amazing. You can just do something, eat despite all the circumstances in your life, everything that's happened or fallen apart or that you don't want to have happened. You can just make yourself feel good no matter what. And this is a fundamental spiritual teaching that has to be emphasized in all traditions and is just can you choose to be happy? And and if you're finding in your own self, you cannot muster the willpower to do it. This is a practice that will just force you to override that. And just, you will feel good. It's like, you don't have an option here. <laughs> You're going to feel good after doing this. You don't have a choice, <laughs> whether you like it or not. And at the same time, you know, problems are not solved overnight. And it does take a process. Healing is always a process. But it uh, this is definitely a practice that can radically shift things very, very, very quickly because of the intensity of it. And of course, with intense practices, you have to be safe and to be mindful of how things are going to affect your body and everyone's different we have to be mindful of how intense we go in some people going into the ocean as i did for 12 minutes in february for no preparation was fine other people going in the cold shower for two minutes after preparation might be too much so you really need it's obviously all about paying attention to what your body can take what you can take understanding all of us are different and realizing at the same time, though, that we do have the capacity to just make ourselves feel good and feel happy. And this is something that I loved about Wim Hof. He's like, we should just be feeling strong. We should just be feeling happy. We should be feeling good just for being who we are. This is a fundamental Buddhist thing that, and, and shamanic thing as well. And, and all these traditions that you should just be happy with who you are. It doesn't require you to add on anything. That wasn't part of the agreement when you came out of the oven. God wasn't like, okay, you'll be happy only if you become famous or if you make a lot of money or if you become successful in this thing. No, you should just be feel good and feel happy about who you are, irrespective of anything, because you are the presence, the I amness that needs to come through. Once you actually connect to that state of consciousness inside of yourself, you realize everything is fine as it is. You might want to improve something, but you understand deeply that that's not really going to like make you happy in the way that you're looking for. And at the same time, cold exposure is not just going like, to make you happy in the way that you're looking for, but what it's going to do is it's going to transform your neurochemistry and your physical state and along with the other systems holistically where that happiness can arise and move out of you more easily with less obstruction. That's the best way I can explain it. Meditation itself isn't going like, to make you happy, but it will allow happiness to move through you in a cleaner way. So the brain reacts to the stress of the cold by engaging the sympathetic nervous system. This is the part of you that it wants to flight in fight or flight. I suppose it would also be the part of you that wants to fight. It's the part of you that's in panic, basically. It's the sympathetic nervous system. So it releases hormones such as adrenaline, norepinephrine, and this is a survival mechanism because you need to be able to function at a high level if you are living in nature and you're being hunted by a large predator. You just need to survive. It doesn't matter what's happening in the future, the past, what pain or discomfort, basically anything that is preventing you from simply overcoming the adversity of that creature trying to kill you, you need to just move past that. So even if you know, you're know you deeply injured or something like that, you just need to tap into a system inside of yourself, biologically speaking, that allows you to just move past that obstacle. And this is something that's innate in all of us because all of us came 
you know, this bodies came out of the jungle where things were hunting us. And these systems, they just flip on right at the face of adversity, such as a giant monster trying to eat you. However, what we're learning here through the science and through the technique of the exposure to the elements in extreme ways is that these are systems that we can activate through utilizing environmental stress consciously. So that power, that like force inside of you, that's strong, that's like, oh yeah, you have uh, broken feet, that's okay, keep going. You know, that can be essentially flicked on like a light switch can. So uh, there's a famous guy who's been on a lot of podcasts, he's an ex-Navy SEAL of a long time, David Goggins. He's a ultra marathon runner, I mean, run these 100 mile races. His story is quite fascinating. It's crazy. He ran a 100 mile race with no prior experience of marathon running. And at mile marker 70, after 12 hours of running straight, he discovered he had broken multiple bones in both of his feet and was peeing blood from kidney failure. Yet he continued to keep running and finished the last 30 miles of the race over the course of another seven hours. Whoa. 10 days later, he ran another marathon and finished in just over four hours. A month later, he ran another 100-mile race and finished ninth. So this is totally extreme. Uh, and while this is obviously not recommended, it's nonetheless amazing. And it provides some evidence on the power of the mind, the nervous system, and the body to override pain, stress, and bring oneself into a place of optimal performance despite extreme pain. So he has a quote that I like, David Goggins. He says, do something that sucks every day. And the way I interpreted that was what he's saying is do something consciously stressful every day outside of your comfort zone that activates the endocannabinoid and opioid system of your brain to enter into a transcendental place of being and flow. If you don't have an aversion to repeated use of the F word and other profanities, he's a great motivational speaker to listen to and has an absolute amazing story to share about harnessing the will and overcoming poverty, racism, obesity, war, and trauma to impact a lot of people in a positive way. So this is, like I said, an extreme situation, but the reality is, is that it's teaching us something about we're more capable than we think. And a lot of times to tap into that capacity, we just need to put ourselves in the environment to activate it. And what's wonderful about the cold exposure is you don't need to even really go very far. You just slip the shower from hot to cold and it does that to your system. It's operating on the same system that allows someone to do something like David Goggins did. So in what's interesting too is you, once you start to experience this, and as I did, I did a lot of research about like what's happening because what I was experiencing was so profound and, and transformative. You know, you want to understand what else operates these systems. And in the spirit of, of ultra running and David Goggins, uh, sustained aerobic activity also does this. So if you sprint or if you lift weights, you're not going to have this effect. But if you run sustained aerobic activity, or you do, I say, like kickboxing class or something like that, or trampoline, you're going to activate these systems as well. So the cold water, heat exposure, sauna, breath work activates it, and sustained aerobic activity. And what, if you're lucky, combine them. These are things that someone just at a gym, for instance, <laughs> could find you know, sauna, cold exposure, running, this kind of thing. It's simple stuff, but when you, you recognize what's actually happening, 
and then built to, uh, cultivating a practice around the awareness of this, then the capacity to uplift yourself out of all kinds of states of consciousness that are undesirable and, and emotional patterns and garbage is really limitless, I think. And at this point in time with COVID and the mental health crisis and the drug addiction crisis, the environmental crisis, I feel that what we really need is is a clean slate to function and operate from and think clearly from to understand what we need to do to, to bring balance back to the world. And the first thing you need to do is find this inside of yourself. And, you know, you can't really give healing to people unless you find healing inside of yourself. And at the same time, because I like to get more abstract about things, you could you could contradict. I think that 12-step programs are, are founded upon damaged people healing damaged people. And there's a lot of truth to that. Nonetheless, the best healing that you can really offer someone is transforming yourself in the presence of consciousness of that transformation, that peace and that happiness and that joy coming through you cleanly and transmitting that to someone in many shapes and forms. But that is the best healing we can offer. And so these practices, which are very simple, which we already know about, are things that can help bring about that kind of transformation that's really needed at this point in time of crisis. So they say the Japanese character for crisis also incorporates the word opportunity. And I researched that and I don't think it's true, <laughs> but like all little sayings like that, there's a truth in them, even if you know, it doesn't factually add up. There's a truth to that statement that crisis and opportunity are one and the same. And I also feel there's something powerful about this because it's connected to the elements. It's connected to the breath, the air element. It's connected to the body, the earth element. It's connected to the water, obviously the water element. It's connected to the internal heat, the fire element. This is a, a recalibration and a balancing of the elements inside of ourselves. Bringing forth a... capacity to step into a position of being a magician as they say in the tarot is that once you come in contact with the four elements they become a magician so this is i would say mystical training and becoming a magician is getting really cold breathing a lot and running <laughs> so to talk a little about the breath work because the breath work i think on many levels is actually more profound than just the the, uh, the cold water exposure if one could bother to say that because you know Wim Hof also did something where he ran through the desert for several days in the Sahara without uh, food or water so it's not just about cultivating a resiliency and strength to cold exposure but also to heat uh, basically to the elements to the forces of nature to and stress on the body that's what this does and so just to share simply what the breath work is because it's very simple and there's some, a lot of apps on YouTube and uh videos there's an app you can download i recommend doing it once you get the hang of it you don't need the app anymore but it's very simple it's basically you do 30 to 40 breaths like you're blowing up a balloon really deep from the belly diaphragmatic breathing <sighs> Wim likes to say belly chest head meaning bring the breath up and into those areas in that order but just deep breathing from the belly from from the the core like you're blowing up, blowing up a balloon. 
And then on the 40th one is what I like to do, blow it all out. So there's no air inside of you at all, as much as you can get out. And then you hold that as long as you can. And then when you're at your point of gasping, you take a deep inhalation and you hold that for 15 seconds and you start over. And there's, as I understand, there's no danger to doing this unless you are in a situation where if you pass out, you could hurt yourself. So if you're laying down in your bed and you're doing this breath retention and you pass out, you'll just wake back up in your bed. You're totally fine. If you're driving a car or if you're in water where you could drown and you pass out, obviously it's not safe. But the breathing is totally safe. They say if you pass out, it's no problem. It's not da dangerous at all for the system. The only danger is that if you hit your head or something like that. I've never gotten close to passing out with it. But very simple technique. And then you can do a couple rounds of that. I like to do about 30 minutes of it in the morning when I wake up. It's the first thing that I like to do because it really activates the system and turns everything on. And it doesn't require necessarily a lot of exertion. It feels more like a meditation to me. And then once everything's on, then going to a more like physically based yoga practice feels really good. So the breathing is basically a combination of what's called the kumbhaka, which is the breath retention, and bahastrika pranayama, which is the bellows breath, which focuses on the third chakra in the solar plexus, so the manipura, this place of power, the force. And that's a really important center to utilize, especially, I would say, during these times where there's a lot of things weighing on many people emotionally to step into your power just for who you are and what you are and, and being an existing presence in the world, not for having accomplished anything is a very important thing. And uh, like I said, there's many traditions that have utilized things like this. It's not like Wim Hof discovered it, but the way that he did it, as I understand it, is unique. And so what's really interesting is that they did a study at Wayne State University where they measured Wim Hof and other people in response to cold. They used an MRI and a CAT scan. So the... Uh, the MRI measured the brain, and the CAT scan was effect taking measurements on the body. And they, what they did was they created like a cold suit where they could run cold and warm water through the suit so they could influence the uh, exposure to the elements on the body. And so through the M measurement of the MRI and the brain, it demonstrated that the combination of cold exposure and breath work done jointly leads to a spike of activity in the periaqueductal region of the brain. So it's a region of gray matter located in the brain stem. It's abbreviated as PAG. And this is the primary region in the brain responsible for pain reduction and autonomic reactions to stress and injury and the production of fear and defense mechanisms. So this is like the essence, I would say, is like the reptilian brain is how I interpreted this. It's deep in the brainstem in the system. It's, it's not something we ordinarily have conscious involvement with. Uh, and what's interesting, they did an experiment in the 70s where they stimulated the PAG in rats, and they were able to operate on the rats without anesthesia, and the rats did not ex demonstrate any experience of pain. When I read that, I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So what's cool is that the PAG is also thought to be activated during the placebo effect, which is where we experience a top-down override of pain and otherwise autonomic functions and experiences of the body. And this is a very, really interesting thing where uh, there was a guy, I don't know when it happened, but it's a very famous example where this guy uh, he took 29 capsules thinking they were antidepressants and he was, I guess, consciously trying to kill himself and overdose. And then he... As the effect of the pills came on, he realized, I guess, that he didn't want to die. We don't quite know the motivation. 
and he experienced hypertension and you know this feeling of like i'm having a heart attack and the er came and they gave him an iv to keep him sustained and the blood pressure and everything and then when they looked and saw the capsules they checked out the capsules like what did you take we need to see what's in this so we understand how to treat you and they found that they were just sugar pills <laughs> and then all of a sudden all the symptoms went away so this is called the nocebo effect, where undesirable symptoms following the administration of an inert substance the patient believes to be an active drug. And that's how powerful your brain is, where you think that this thing is something and it just creates that effect. The when you when you take that understanding done through that perfect example of that guy and then apply this to perhaps what you might know about meditation and yoga and cold exposure and things you realize that we have the capacity to seize and harness control over ourselves in a way that as i said before is limitless this guy tried to climb mount everest wearing nothing but shorts and almost did it how was that done because the person's harnessed control over their system in a way that is indescribable which is why i'm failing to find the word for it and this access of the pag the periaqueductal region of the brain is a huge part of it and this was something that was specifically only lit up once the breath work was applied with the cold water so when people were just exposed to the cold water they didn't have the same level of activity in the brain as wim hof did it's something that requires this, a, a practice of this breath work in conjunction with the cold water so the theory is that the uh, the breath work, which is in essence a controlled release, a conscious release of adrenaline through the system, because that's what's happening, is adrenaline is, is flooding through the system. And it, it's also activating endocannabinoid opioid regions of the body, which are connected to the PAG. Uh, it allows, once that breath work and the stress is combined with the cold, there's a crossing of the threshold in the brain where the PAG can be accessed, stimulated, and lit up like a Christmas tree in an MRI scan. So it's releasing endogenous opioids and cannabinoids, and it's overriding the experience of pain and the danger of cold water. And it allows someone who's like a seasoned practitioner with Wim Hof to survive in these conditions that would kill anyone, any one of us otherwise. So this is why the Wim Hof method incorporates these three pillars, not just breathwork meditation. Not, I'm sorry, not just cold water breath work but also meditation and then commitment is a huge part of it which functions into the meditative practice but commitment consistent practice like all things enhances the effect of what it's offering so then they did a cat scan and they demonstrated that uh, during cold exposure the intercostal muscles between the ribs and the body were chewing up glucose like crazy to release heat throughout the body, stabilizing the core temperature and even sustaining skin temperature regardless of the exposure to the cold, preventing frostbite. This is something that, as I understand, only comes through committed practice. I've done cold water immersion. Done The longest I've done is 23 minutes in ice water, and I did not experience this. I definitely was very cold when I got out, and I was cold when I was in there. Nonetheless, I had a mental capacity to deal with it. But... Uh, I wouldn't say that my body was had re I reached a place in the practice where I was able to heat myself up like that very easily. I did experience at certain moments a stabilization within the self 
physically speaking where the cold was not really affecting me much you know at late in the sit like 20 minutes in i was like i was like i feel kind of fine actually nonetheless i'm sure that if you had a thermometer you might say well you're getting kind of low here but this is something that you know we establish through committed practice and this is also a good moment to talk about i was i was talking to my teacher my sherman well about this and he gave me a stern warning about not overdoing it and that what can happen is that while yeah it's like you can do that maybe even do it for longer Wim Hof does for two hours but then it becomes this very egotistical endeavor where instead of trying to bring like healing and empowerment to ourselves we not only risk hurting ourselves killing ourselves but also look at how long I could sit in the cold water <laughs> look what I can do you know it's like this you just become really full of yourself and I think with all practices this is something that is very important I'm very grateful that I sure and well point this out to me is that the ego can just become so inflated by what you're doing. Like I can sit in meditation for 10 days without moving and all these kind of things, whatever it is, whether you're in art or spiritual discipline, whatever it is, business, any of these things where it becomes the intention of all this work is as Wim Hof said, we're trying to realize the soul. We're trying to come into this place of like flow and connection and grace and humility and service. We're not trying to come into a place of self-aggrandizement and boasting and so on and so forth of all those things that we're trying to uproot within ourselves. So that once I st once I started to do those long sits, I, I toned it down and now I generally just do a few minutes, I would say four days a week, and then do one sit between five and 10 minutes in the ice once a week and then take a day or two off so there's time for the body to recuperate and recover because that's an important part of the process too if you're constantly stimulating the muscles they never have any time to really fully repair and regrow and so it's important that we give ourselves an opportunity to heal uh, because the stress requires that nourishment afterwards and also understanding too that the beneficial beneficial effects of this come just in a short few minutes afterwards. It's good to push your limits. It's good to, you know, at certain moments, explore what you can do. But being very conscientious of why and what you're trying to get out of it are extraordinarily important things to really have in your mind. Otherwise, you can find yourself in a situation where you push things too far, do something dangerous, or just become kind of an egomaniac, which is what Chognam Trungpa talked about, the spiritual materialism. Like, where this, the, the practice becomes such an identity when the whole intention of the practice was to help loosen the absolutism and the density of your identity and, and keep you in a more connected and harmonious place with simple things. So, food for thought there. The important thing to understand, though, is that, coming back to the science of all this, is we can overcome physical ailments and obstacles and all types of situations that hold us down and are so excruciating and, and perpetuate tremendous suffering that we have a capacity to override these systems and gain control of them top down. The idea of the systems not coming, not taking control of what's arising in our conscious field, but consciously we're taking control of the system and bringing forth a desirable state in the face of difficulty and actually consciously utilizing that difficulty to 
bring forth that state. So there's a protein called BDNF. It stands for brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's a protein that repairs and protects brain neurons and stimulates the creation of new connections. You can think of it as a miracle grow fertilizer for the brain. It enhances memory and learning. It increases muscle development, reduces anxiety and depression. And some really simple tools for activating BDNF are obviously cold and heat exposure, social interaction, exercise, fasting, psychedelics, foods such as blueberries, cacao, and lion's mane. And I have a little asterisk next to lion's mane because I've seen some research that says that's not really concluded yet. What's cool though, in our community, we have a friend who grows lion's mane. We get it like almost once a week and I've been taking it as like a powdered supplement. And who knows if it's 100% doing that, but I have faith that it does. And I just trust in the placebo effect as well. So I feel good taking it. It's good for you. Whether it stimulates BDNF, that's not something that we can fully say at this point. They're still researching that. One thing that's really interesting is social interaction, right? That's like community. It's such a crucial linchpin. I've talked a lot about it on this podcast, given that I live in community. But to have people around you, to think outside of yourself, to connect to others, to connection, that's important. We can't undermine that enough. So a lot of times... Not a lot of times, but I think in these circumstances of life at the moment, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to bring healing and balance themselves, and they're failing to understand the importance of healthy social interaction. And, you know, at the same time, maybe a lot of people have actually reevaluated that given the fact that everyone's been locked away from everyone else. So the stimulation of BDNF creates a state called neurogenesis, where we are able to temporarily release ourselves from fixed and static ways of understanding and relating to the world and provide us with a fresh state to learn, unlearn, and move outside of our structured way of experiencing life. If you've ever taken psychedelics, then this is a no-brainer for you to understand what this is saying. But basically, it's putting your brain and your mind, your consciousness in a place where patterns and things that have kept you locked are not really as static as they appeared. And the cold exposure is a wonderful way to get that state opened. So I was saying the sympathetic nervous system prepares the body for flight or fight through the stress response. The parasympathetic nervous system returns the body to a place of calmness and ease. They balance each other out. So what we have is uh, in the breath work, we have a, through the sympathetic response, which is triggered through the retention of breath, all of a sudden we can't breathe. Panic sets in. And then through the parasympathetic, the deep breathing from the belly that activates the parasympathetic nervous system, like the yogic breathing. So we're having this balance where what we're doing is we're learning to harness control over the sympathetic response. The body's saying, do something about this, but you're saying, no, stay calm. I'm doing a practice. Relax, relax into that stress. And then there's a moment where like you do have to breathe because God bless me, you're gonna pass out otherwise. And then you do breathe, and then your body calms itself down. And I'm going to get a little bit more into like the science of what's what's happening 
with the breath work in a little bit. But the idea is that what we're doing is we're learning to control our stress response. So you do this practice where you're priming the breath and then you go into the cold. And the first thing, I mean, just the thought of going to the cold, I think most people hits the stress response. But once you really get into the cold, whether it's cold shower or cold plunge, they're both uncomfortable. In some ways, I think the cold shower is actually more uncomfortable because it just hits a small part of your, part of your body while the cold plunge, it's, it's like it just overwhelms you to the point where you can't really, <laughs> you can't do too much about it. With the cold shower, you can kind of avoid it and kind of try to run still. But when you get in there, the stress response goes zoop, like goes like crazy. But the idea is through the breath work, we've learned to say, no, calm down, relax. Just breathe. Become one with what's happening. Intellectually, I know this is not going to kill me, even though you're telling me it is body and mind. <laughs> so this is it, it, this is a way for us to control emotionally, mentally, physically our system. It's a way for us to deal with stress and a way for us to deal with keeping serenity and equanimity and stillness inside of ourselves, despite what patterns of the past might have been trying to dictate to us. So also the vagus nerve, it's part of the parasympathetic nervous system. And a lot of people I think in the yogic tradition have kind of talked about it. It helps regulate stress, inflammation, digestion, and blood pressure. And this deep breath work and the exposure of the cold both result in immediate stimulation of this nerve and allows it to consciously activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So the understanding here, just to sum it up in very simple ways, the breath work exercise, sustained aerobic exercise specifically, meditation, heat, and cold exposure allow us to hack the autonomics, autonomic functions of the brain and nervous system, give us control of the body, motions, and mind, leading to a state of this neuroplasticity where we can overcome these like insurmountable challenges, reprogram our habits, take control of our emotions, strengthen our willpower, and experience life with rejuvenation. In terms of the immune system, this is very fascinating. Uh, so cold water increases the white blood cell count in the body, which fights off disease. Research suggests this is due to an increased metabolic rate, which stimulates the immune response. So in a clinical study, the breathing technique allowed for Wim Hof to fight off an endotoxin of E. coli, endotoxins, dead bacteria of a virus. When it's injected into people, it still causes a sickness, but not in a serious way. So they all, Wim Hof and many other people were injected by this endotoxin in the lab. And they found that the breath work resulted in a conscious release of adrenaline for him and also a messaging anti-inflammatory protein called interleukin-10, which basically fought off the illness and he didn't experience any symptoms while everyone else got sick. And scientists were like, okay, this is just like a rare thing. You know, this is something unique to him. He's like, no, this is the breath work and anyone can do it. So uh, he then took a group of 12 people. He trained them for 10 days in Poland where they do the cold exposure and the breath and all that. And then they did the experiment again and all of the uh, people he took were able to do the same thing. So I wish I had the way to fully express how profound that is because think about all the times in your life you've been sick and you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. What this research is showing is just by doing a specific type of breath work is that you can activate your immune response to ward off disease even when it's been injected into you something as intense as E. coli. 
it's profound. I'd be all the times this is also uh, not just profound for people like a cold, but like autoimmune diseases where the system's immune response has gone haywire and it's made people sick. All the people dealing with uh, autoimmune disorders, this is a treatment for that, that has the capacity to heal someone of something that otherwise uh, perhaps there's no real effective treatment for. And I don't think that this technique necessarily promises that you're just going to solve all the problems in your life. But I feel like part of the healing process is really a journey. It's a path where one thing leads to another. So if you find that the Wim Hof breathing is great, but maybe it doesn't solve the problem, doing adding something great into your mix when you're dealing with something very intensely is a doorway into the next great thing. That's just what I found in, in my own journey is that Everything leads to another thing. And, you know, when you find things that are good and bring restoration and balance to you, it leads you into doorways where more of the same can come your way. So learning to deal with your immune response, we all get sick. And there's a way to uh, activate that where we don't have to deal with that anymore at least in the way that we were previously. I don't think the significance of that could really ever be fully expressed. So to talk a little bit about the science of what's happening in the breathing, have here some of the information took from Wim's website that I think is worth going over. So the premise of the breathing technique is to influence the ratio between oxygen and carbon dioxide levels in the blood. Where the oxygen levels increase, the carbon dioxide decreases. When we breathe in, we take up oxygen and release carbon dioxide stored in our blood. Our blood is usually already fully saturated with oxygen, around 99%, and breathing deeply does not raise that saturation. However, breathing deeply does release a lot of carbon dioxide, which in turn lowers the need to breathe. The brain stem, specifically the pons and medulla oblongata, are sensitive to carbon dioxide. Having too much carbon dioxide in the blood will trigger your brainstem to breathe. If you remove the carbon dioxide from the blood through deep breathing, this impulse to breathe from the brainstem is also lowered. In short, the lower level of carbon dioxide, the longer you can hold your breath. The impulse is just not triggered yet. So worth noting here is that when you're doing the breath work and you do these breath retentions, what you'll find is the first one I usually can do for about 40 seconds to a minute. By the end of 30 minutes, I can generally hold my breath for two minutes, two minutes and 15 seconds. The intention is not to get a really long breath retention. Uh, it, it's kind of like a challenge I find to do it, meaning it's like, oh, I'm challenging myself to hold it for longer. You know, that, that's kind of like a, there's something about, I think, reward that in terms of oper- activating the system that floods you with dopamine i was listening to a navy seal another navy seal talk about how they got through their extremely intense boot camp buds is what they call it my grandfather was a frogman which is the precursors to the navy seals and so growing up i was always kind of into the navy seals until i (laughs) realized that war and violence is not really a positive force in the world and also understood the united states as kind of an imperialistic uh, it's sort of like the evil empire, right? Rage Against the Machine, second album. <laughs> Nonetheless, I was really into the Navy SEALs growing up. 
and uh, there's something about people that push themselves in those kind of environments where there's some deep information and wisdom that comes out of it, even if it's totally corrupted in terms of the intention, you know, violence and patriotism and things like that. I have nothing against soldiers or uh, people in those service positions. I, I would say ignorance in that respect is more like misguided or there's a misunderstanding because, for instance, a soldier has love for his family, has love for their country. It's not like love is not present in their life. It's just that it's limited to a localized force where what we need to bring forth at this moment now more than ever is a more encompassing universal type of love for all people as we are one family. Not to deviate too much, but what one of the Navy SEALs was sharing on a podcast with Rich Roll, I think he was saying that what he found that allowed some guys to survive and others not to not to get through not survive, but to make it through the BUDS training camp, which is extraordinarily difficult. And cold water immersion is part of it where they do eight minutes in the ocean, lack of sleep and all kinds of extreme situations. He said those are the those of us that were able to think in the short term, like, okay, I just gotta get to lunch this afternoon then i gotta get to the class then i gotta get past this one exercise those were the ones that made it through the whole training the ones that were focusing on i'm gonna get through the whole training they were overwhelmed they quit the idea is that when you set yourself up with these small goals you are hacking on a certain level your brain's reward uh and pleasure euphoria system the endocannabinoid opioid system here because what's happening is that you say okay all i need to do is i need to get do 100 push-ups you're not saying i got to finish the boot camp boot camp i do 100 push-ups you do 100 push-ups and what happens is neurologically your brain rewards you with dopamine makes you feel good it releases the pain the norepinephrine comes in suddenly you're brought to a place of balance then you go then you're put in the face of another challenging circumstance okay i gotta do eight minutes in the ocean right now you do it you get out i feel good okay now i need to get through this next activity and so what happens is you you cultivate this inner strength through the almost conscious release of dopamine throughout the brain so this is something that you can utilize perhaps with all things in life if you're having a hard time just break things down into steps okay you want to uh I was listening to a friend of mine who passed away, I believe, two days ago, Ethan Sisser, S-I-S-S-E-R. He has a little interview on podcast where he's in the hospital from brain, uh, brain illness. And it was funny. He was talking about how he was like, oh, I didn't want to do yoga. Or I didn't want to do the music. But he's like, I'll just go do it for five minutes. And then he starts. And then from there, he's able to break through into something more transcendental. He was a yoga teacher. A musician, an artist, and he was saying how, and what he's saying here is the same principle that just putting yourself in the position just to do it for a little bit or to break it down in steps allows you to succeed. Why? Because it, it activates this reward circuitry in the brain. Your brain is programmed for rewards. It's like you need to survive. So if you find food, your brain goes, "Oh, good job! I want to keep doing that." So here's what you need—the neurochemicals for you to keep moving. So when you put yourself in situations where you are accomplishing tasks, then you are now in a position where this reward activation circuit can be flipped on. 
So this is sort of how I was approaching the Wim Hof breathing, where I was like, well, I want to try to push my limitation here. And I've experienced a sense of reward and gratification. And nonetheless, this is caused by, by dopamine and things like that for pushing the limitations. Uh, and that being said, the intention is not to hold your breath for as long as you can. Some people can do it for up to five minutes. I don't know how they do it. I've been doing this since um, virtually every day since November 4th, the breath work. And... I can't seem to get past two and a half minutes. Nonetheless, I'm not psychologically attached to it because the intention is really to tune into the body and be in the present moment. But one day it would be cool to do that. Alrighty. So, as we were saying, the lower level of carbon dioxide, the longer we can hold our breath. So, what's also interesting is that systematically deep breathing in and out lowers the P, or I'm sorry, the pH value in the blood increases, which makes the blood more alkaline. And the acidity lessens. This is also a huge component in reducing inflammation and sickness is that uh, the acidity in the blood can result in a toxic environment where disease and all kinds of crap can breed in our system. So normally, on average, the pH value is 7.4. By exerting the breathing techniques, this becomes significantly higher and can even go up to 7.75, which I guess is a high number. <laughs> I don't know. As a result, three important physiological changes happen. One, you experience lightheartedness, lightheadedness, excuse me, lightheadedness, as the arteries and veins to the brain and body close slightly in reaction to the alkalizing blood, which means you experience a tingling sensation in the limbs and muscles due to the lowering of available calcium ions in the blood. Removing calcium ions increases muscle excitability. Two, the blood cells, the red blood cells, that is, carrying oxygen, have a difficult time releasing their payload of oxygen. Why? Because acidity normally triggers the release. If the blood is suddenly more alkaline, the oxygen bound to the red blood cells does not release. This makes the cells, it makes that the cells and tissues cannot receive oxygen even though blood oxygen saturation is at 100%. The oxygen is simply stuck to the red blood cell, which is known as hypoxia, which is defined as a deficiency in the amount of oxygen reaching the tissues. This can sound frightening or scary, but the mild hypoxic state caused by the controlled deep breathing is soon back to normal again. At the final deep breath, breathing out and holding the breath will allow the blood to reestablish acidity and allow red blood cells to begin releasing their oxygen. While holding the breath, no new oxygen comes back into the blood. As a result, oxygen saturation in the blood lowers and lowers as the body uses it. Remember, there is also less carbon dioxide, which makes the breath holding easier as well. The body is now experiencing a short-term form of hypoxia, which is a form of stress at the cellular level. Cells are not getting the normal levels of oxygen, and their metabolism begins to shift. This stress will signal the body to react and strengthen. The body's sympathetic response is activated, and the pathways necessary to deliver that oxygen to cells are strengthened. These pathways could include a number of different systems, such as increasing red blood cells, lung capacity, improved circulation, and improved metabolic efficiency over the long term. This short-term period of hypoxia is a positive stress. It signals the body to react and strengthen and to better deal with stress in the long term. The breathing activates our sympathetic nervous system and our body counteracts the stress through the parasympathetic response leading to a euphoric state.
So that's some of the science of what's happening. I find it even a little difficult to follow myself at certain moments. But the main important thing here is that you feel it right away. It's very powerful. And it's a deep training. It's not just like a, it's not a um, symptom reliever. It's, it's cutting the illness at the root. The illness being stress and we're not just making ourselves feel good. We're not putting a band-aid on something. We're we're uprooting our reaction to stress and pain and adversity. We're training ourselves to step into that place of utilizing how our body is responding to things. So what's interesting uh, is also to how we can recover. Uh, what I like to do, I built out a little sauna in the backyard. I found one. Great deal. <laughs> and it's excellent. There's a couple of different... If you can't get a sauna, then there's other ways to heat yourself back up. The sauna I highly recommend because I was saying before, the, the going of back and forth to the cold, the expansion, the contraction, and the flood of norepinephrine that comes, and the healing effect of the sauna in and of itself is amazing but when you combine it in conjunction with the cold it's like a like i said it's like a religious experience as i said about the turkish bathhouse russian turkish bathhouse in the east village if you don't have access to that but you do have access to cold shower the first thing that you want to do to recover is obviously try off and what you'll notice is that you actually will find yourself getting colder once you get out of the water than when you were in it there's a state called after drop and it can be very dangerous if you are, you know, in the forest or something like that. So that's why it's highly recommended that you don't do this kind of cold exposure unless you have immediate access to a warm environment, warm clothing, something warm to drink. Uh, I've heard and read situations where people have almost gone into a hypothermic state and died because they were going out to the forest to do this. So never underestimate people's capacity to be irresponsible. So as I say all this, the way that I do it is I have a cold plunge right outside the door. What I do is I prepare boiling water ahead of time, whatever drink I'm going to have. I put out the clothes I'm going to wear before I go in the water so I don't have to be shivering and find out what I'm going to wear and think about it. I already know it's there. I don't have to think about it. Because if you're going to do 10 plus minutes in the cold plunge, you're going to need to know what you don't want to be thinking about what you're going to be putting on. You just need to put it on ASAP. And then I have a fire on ahead of time. So I have heat sources coming from the outside ready. Nonetheless, when we went to the Coney Island Aquarium, after that, my first exposure to the cold, that place didn't get warmer than 65 degrees. It was not very warm in that building. And they had some tea and coffee, but, you know, it was difficult. It's not, you weren't in a sauna. With after drop, what happens is that because the blood's been going really cold, going to your core, it starts to recirculate because you're now out of the extreme and you're in a warm environment, such as your house or the Coney Island Aquarium. But the blood's cold and it's now recirculating through your system. And so you get colder than when you were in the water. It's intense it can hurt too if you do a long time and i was doing like 15 minutes in the cold plunge and i go back in my house before i had the sauna built out 
there was a moment where I was just like, this is hellishly painful. Hellishly is an over-dramatization, but it was painful. And you were like, whoa, like, <laughs> it was not fun. But that was part of the purification process as I understood it because it's part of this thing of, of training yourself to deal with stress and discomfort and adversity in a way where it doesn't overwhelm you. But you feel it, and yeah, it's not fun. So you have to be very careful because you get colder once you get out. So if you're walking from the lake to your car and it's a 15-minute walk, you can find yourself in a very bad situation. And I read a situation of someone talking about that they did that on a Facebook post on Wim Hof Group, and I was like, huh. So make sure that you have a warm environment to go to. Make sure you have the clothes ready to go to. Make sure you have something hot to drink. Uh, what's recommended in from Wim Hof is the horse stance, which is done in yoga and martial arts, where you are like in a squatting position, and you can move the arms kind of like in a qigong, just waving sort of way. It's pretty unspecific the way that the arm movement is, but you want to be in this like strong, broad-legged squat stance as if you're riding a horse. You can find on YouTube all kinds of things about the horse stance. And Wim Hof says that you can you don't want to go into the cold, hot water right away. You want to be in the cold. And then you want to heat the body up from the inside. And the horse stance activates the muscles, but not in a way that is too stressful to the extremities, which are already stressed because of the cold exposure. And it allows you to generate that inner fire. And you do deep breathing. He, in the video, he's like, hua, 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 making these sounds while doing these arm movements. So you want to you want to be in that place of like motion, moving, swaying. And that can be very helpful to keep yourself heating back up. And I like, as I said, I like to do this standing over the fire, and then I would generally have a cup where I'll have some raw cacao, have some dandelion tea, several types of medicinal mushrooms, I like to put in also cinnamon, cardamom, turmeric, these spices, black pepper. The spices in particular that also activate the endocannabinoid opioid systems. They're they have an effect on that. Turmeric is extraordinarily anti-inflammatory, especially when combined with black pepper. Cacao, as I was sharing earlier, has these flavanols where uh, it can brings blood to all different regions of the body. I mean, cacao is like a they call it food of the gods. If you don't know about cacao, there's a great video on YouTube. Uh, I forgot who the guy is, but he's if you Google cacao TED Talk and you listen to about cacao. It's a miracle food and what it can do. It activates BDNF as well. It's a medicine in every type of the way. It's ceremonially used by the Mayans, and it's straight magic in so many ways. So utilizing cacao is great. Uh, and, you know, having the hot liquid recirculate through the body heats everything up. And you can do different push-ups, jumping jacks, whatever. Just get yourself moving. The horse stance can be enough uh, and yeah this is as I've said many times this, this is a radically transformational practice it's something that I felt inspired to dedicate a whole podcast to because it really is can just shift things for you immediately and I think a lot of people can benefit from having something that they can immediately tap into that is a pivot the whole situation for them right away, but also is, is healthy for them. This is good for you. And like I was saying, I, I really think that doing these kind of practices like this are doorways in understanding other practices and 
really allowing us to move forward on a healing journey. I can say for myself, it was such a relief to find something that was like, okay, no matter how stressful the day was, I can just go sit in ice. (laughs) I can just just blow that out of the way. It doesn't matter. Living in community is stressful. Living in community in time of quarantine, that was very stressful. So living in community in times of quarantine and going into ice is the most stressful, which is why it's the most cathartic and liberating. And I make it a consistent practice. So encourage you guys to check out all the different ways to get a good hookup for cold exposure. The shower is often said to work just as well as the cold plunge for a lot of the physiological benefits. The cold plunge is more of a mystical experience, I would say, but the cold shower works wonders and there's a reason that it's advocated in many different yogic traditions. So you can check out getting like uh, freezers, refurbish them. I have one that I got to refurbish so I can use it for the summer times because the water outside is not going to be freezing for too much longer. It was frozen this morning, but understanding our connection with the elements and understanding that you are a eternal life force and that there's something inside of you that just won't quit. Even when every part of what you take to be you has, that part of you won't. And once we're really able to tap into that part of ourselves and we're really able to give it a voice and give it freedom, then we don't want to go back to the misery of comfort. It's exciting to get out of our comfort zone. It's exciting to grow. It's exciting to feel that rush, and which is, you know, it's a rapture of being alive, as Joseph Campbell said. It's both beautiful but terrifying, but that is exciting. There's something joyful about that. There's something that is liberating about that. And that's what we're all really looking for, whether we realize it or not. We might not admit it. We might have a lot of excuses why we're not looking for it. But there's a moment where, well, the world crumbles and suddenly we're confronted with things and we need something to clear out some of the garbage. So explore. Don't become stagnant. Don't become complacent. Realize that you're more capable than what you thought. And that what's beautiful is there's a lot of people that have already paved the way into many things. We don't necessarily need to be the pioneer. And there's something I think nice about that. Oh, people have charted this territory. They've charted it for a long time. We can learn from what they have offered us. We can utilize science. We can utilize anecdotal things. We, we don't need to wonder if this is going to kill me or not. You know, we can, we can really understand like this is good for me through the experience of others. We can learn from the mistakes of others too, where, okay, climbing Mount Everest in shorts might lead to frostbite even if you are Wim Hof. Okay, don't swim under the ice and open your eyes because your corneas might freeze. Okay, good to know. So being safe, being smart, being aware, but also you know, push yourself outside of the boundaries and see what you can discover about your own innate capacity to heal yourself and empower yourself and activate yourself. Thank you guys for listening. If anyone has any questions about going deeper into work with the cold exposure and other things related to this podcast, you're welcome to hit me up on Facebook email. 
and I can give you some tips and some experiences I've had with it that maybe I just didn't share in here because of time and this and so on and so forth. So be in touch and remember the cold is merciless but righteous.